The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. This is what John the Baptist proclaimed. One mightier than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop and loosen the thongs of his sandals. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It happened in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. On coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came from the heavens, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Today, as we celebrate the feast of the baptism of our Lord, many people ask the question, why did Jesus come to be baptized? It's a good question. Why did Jesus Christ ask John the Baptist, John the Baptist to baptize him? After all, Jesus is the Son of God. He's the second person of the Holy Trinity. He's perfect. He's God. It's not possible for him to have original sin or any personal sin. And everything is created through him. Everything is created for him. And now he's asking a creature, John the Baptist, to baptize him. Jesus Christ is the fountain of all life, yet he desires to have water poured on him. Why did Jesus come to be baptized? The answer is actually quite simple and profound. Jesus came to be baptized, not for his sake, but for our sake. After the baptism of our Lord, baptism would involve the Spirit of God. It's no longer just a symbolic act with some water of renouncing one's sins and turning back to God. Just as the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters of the earth when the world was created, that same Holy Spirit ho hovers over the waters of the Jordan River in an act of recreation and redemption. And just as the dove announced the end of the flood to Noah and those on the ark, now the Holy Spirit and the appearance of a dove announces an end to the flood of sin and death. And just as God led his chosen people out of the slavery in Egypt into the promised land through the Red Sea as the waters were parted like a wall to their left and their right, now the Holy Spirit guides people out of slavery to sin and into the freedom of eternal life. The baptism of our Lord opens the heavens 
for the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, to descend on the waters of baptism now. And that same Holy Spirit, which I was describing, that same Holy Spirit that came upon the waters of the Jordan River in the baptism of our Lord, it was the same Holy Spirit which descended upon the waters of the font in which you were baptized in. That same Holy Spirit made those waters holy, sanctified them, made them sacred. Water now gives new, eternal, spiritual life, not just physical life. And that's why our Lord asked John to baptize him. On the feast of the baptism of our Lord, I like to remind people about their own baptism. So often I'll ask kids, I'll say, hey, do you remember your baptism? And I'll say, oh yeah. Their parents will look at them and say, no, you don't remember. You were an infant. And most of us here were infants. We're very young. Most of us here cannot remember our baptism. There's a few exceptions, I'm sure. Those who are baptized later in life for one reason or another. But for the majority of us, we were too young to remember. And today, even before the pandemic, very few Catholics attend baptisms these days, unless it was during one of the weekend masses. So very few Catholics attend a baptism. And um, of those that are attended by Catholics, it's very uh, infrequent in which the priest or the bishop or the deacon will, will take the time to explain what's happening in the baptism rite, to explain the prayers, and to explain the symbols of what's happening in that baptism rite. For example, did you know that there is a prayer of exorcism in every baptism rite? Usually when I'm conducting a baptism, I will announce, and now I'm going to pray the prayer of exorcism. And that usually perks people up. It's like, what? Father's going to do an exorcism? But it's in every baptism. But people just don't know about it. So I want to take an opportunity to remind you of what happened to you at your baptism. The original sin was removed. That sin incurred by our first parents, Adam and Eve, was removed. And at that point, your soul became immortal. And you were given an opportunity to share in the divinity of God. There's a very beautiful phrase in Catholic theology. God becomes man so that man can become God. God becomes man so that man can become God. And you're given that that invitation to share in God's own eternal life for the very first time at your baptism. It's a very important day. You're also given the ability to renounce sin, to renounce the devil. And you're also raised to a filial status. You're no longer slaves or servants in the kingdom of God. You are a brother, you are a sister of our Lord. So you're raised to that filial status, a son or a daughter of God the Father in heaven. You're made a co-heir 
and the kingdom of God with Jesus Christ himself. And in your baptism, your soul was changed forever. And there's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that anybody else can do which can remove that indelible mark which was placed on your soul at baptism. I think it's interesting and somewhat sad that even when somebody chooses at the end of his or her life to enter into hell, and there's a lot of people that do, that even then their soul is marked as a child of God. What a very sad and lonely existence for that soul. So that indelible mark on your soul can never be removed by anything you say or do, ever. And you're able to receive some very important sacramental graces after the sacrament of baptism because baptism unlocks your soul so that you can receive the other graces from the other sacraments. Without baptism, it's not possible to receive these sacramental graces in the other six sacraments of Holy Mother Church. So your soul is really being empowered to live out your Christian identity, your Christian life. The Holy Spirit, or the Holy Trinity, God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, comes to dwell in you. You're given gifts, you're given virtues, all these to live out your baptismal vocation and call. So we, re we really receive great power in our baptism if you think about it. And this is just a very small summarized list of what's happening to you at your baptism. So we, we receive great powers to live out our Catholic faith. But we remember that with power comes responsibility. And baptism makes us more culpable. We think of the times in the scriptures when, when Jesus is giving the, the parable of, of the master who gives um, talents, gives money to the servants and goes off and comes back and expects that that servant did something with that money, with, the, with those talents. And the same is true with the virtues, the gifts given to us at baptism. In the baptism class, which I give to parents and godparents, I tell them, hypothetically speaking, if you were to have twins, and you were to baptize one and not baptize the other, and raise them in a similar way, and then they grow up, move out of the house, live their life, and then they, they die, the, the twin who is baptized is going to be held to a greater standard. They're going to be held to be more culpable at the end of his or her life because they're given the graces necessary to live out their vocation as a Christian. And that's why Holy Mother Church will ask a priest or a bishop or deacon to actually delay baptism if there's no hope that that child will be raised in the faith because the church would say, if for some reason that, that child will never be taught about the great love and mercy and truth and beauty of God, it'd be better that they not be baptized because then they will not be held to be more culpable at the end of their life. The priest or one of the priests uh, who is, um, served at the parish where I grew up was asked by two students at a local high school one year to give the graduation speech or a graduation prayer for their high school. And Father Tom was very um, 
he felt very honored and thankful and a little confused by this. And he asked the students, he said, there's a lot of pastors here in the Silver Valley. You know, why did he ask me? And the student said this, of the 40 graduating seniors that year, 40 graduating seniors, two of them still went to church. It was those two out of 40. And I guarantee that more than two were baptized. Probably quite a few were baptized Catholic. For one reason or another, their parents and their godparents dropped the ball somewhere along the line. They were no longer practicing. And this is becoming more and more common. A couple years ago, there was a, a poll conducted. I normally don't pay attention to polls, but this one I, I do because it's, it's done by uh, Pew and, and Gallup, and they're usually pretty good um, when, they, when they poll uh, Catholics on some of these particular questions. And, and one of the um, facts, about, or one of the conclusions they came to in this survey was that two-thirds, or 67% of baptized Catholics will leave the church by the age of 15. Two-thirds of baptized Catholics today will leave the church by the age of 15. That's alarming. And if you're a parent or godparent, that should be alarming to you. And it should remind you of the, important, uh, the importance of, of bringing up your child or your godchild in the faith, which you promised in the sacrament of holy baptism. You are making the commitment for that child. You are making the commitment to that child and to the priest and to the church and to God, especially that you would raise that child in the faith. You know, once they grow up and they leave the house, let them make their own decision. They can make their own decision, but it has to be an informed decision. And we as parents and godparents have to make sure that that decision will be informed. About seven years ago, I was in the Holy Land for the first time as a priest, and um, I was looking forward to celebrating Holy Mass at some of the, the more important shrines and holy sites throughout uh, modern-day Israel. And one of the places I was planning to go to was uh, the baptism site of our Lord in the Jordan River. Now, if you went to the Holy Land 20 or 30 years ago on pilgrimage, your guide probably took you to the place uh, where John was baptizing people in the Jordan River. And it was right, uh, the guide took you to the very southern end of the Sea of Galilee. And if you're to go to the Jordan River there, um, it's really not too big. If you're familiar with Yellow Breaches Creek, that's about the size of the Jordan River today, okay? Yellow Breaches Creek, give you some perspective. But around the Jordan River on both sides, they have um, uh, stairs and, and benches and and things like that, so that dozens of groups could be there at, at once. Just dozens of groups could be there baptizing people. But more recently, scholars and theologians and historians and archaeologists discover what they think is really the place where Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan. And it's south uh, of, uh, the, of Galilee in the Transjordan Valley. It's north east of Jericho, on the border with Jordan in a demilitarized zone. In fact, to get to it, you have to drive through several military checkpoints to get there. And so I drove through the checkpoints, I got there, and I was really excited because I knew that 
people had not been coming here very long, so I knew that there wouldn't be a lot of people, first of all, and there wouldn't be a lot of um, people trying to sell souvenirs and stuff. So sure enough, I show up. There's only a couple tour buses, a couple cars, and there's like one really small souvenir shack, and that's it. And so I uh, grabbed my mask kit, started heading towards the Jordan River to this uh, small altar where they said I could celebrate mass. And uh, as I got closer to the Jordan uh, River bank, I could hear like screaming and laughter and giggling. And as soon as I saw the river, it, it almost looked like a, a, a water park. People jumping in and swimming and splashing and having fun and screaming and playing. And the majority of those people who were coming back up to the parking lot from, from the Jordan River, they had this, the same uh, design of white t-shirt on which says, I was baptized in the Jordan River. And these people were down there baptizing themselves. I, honestly, they were baptizing themselves in the Jordan River or having people throw them in or whatever they were doing. I just thought it was ridiculous and foolish because what came to my mind was most of these people have been baptized before. And they obviously don't understand that they're making a mockery of their baptism. That you can't be baptized again. It's impossible. That indelible mark on your soul, it's there forever. You can't be baptized again. But so often, I found that a similar attitude exists in the, in the Catholic faith. You know, A lot of times, people, they'll just go... They'll just go to baptism. They'll think it's an opportunity to pay, take more pictures, put it in the baby book, and, and um, you know, exchange gifts and be nice and, and this and that. And they're really missing out on what's really happening. If you were here a couple weeks ago, you heard the story of, I told of when there was a, how I was describing an actual exorcism at a baptism. And so often people forget about the true power of what's happening in that very important sacrament. You know, this is so important that I made the decision after the death of my parents, I made the decision that I will no longer celebrate my birthday. Because when I'm born, you know, this body I'm in, it may hit like 60 or 70 years, you know, but definitely not over 100, right? I mean, how many people live past 100? Nobody lives past 120. So this body that we're born into, it's going to die someday, right? And that's what we're celebrating in our, in our birthday. I celebrate the anniversary of my baptism. February 11th, 1973. I celebrate it every year. Why? Because it was that day in which I was given for the very first time that invitation by God in heaven to share in his own eternal life. And so I celebrate the anniversary of my baptism every year as the most important day in my life. The second most important one being the ordination to the priesthood. But the most important day in my life, day of my baptism. And the same is true for all of you. I'm giving you homework right now. If you don't know which day you were baptized in, on, find out this week. Because next week I'm going to ask you. You should find out what it is, you should mark it on the calendars, and you should celebrate it with great joy and great reverence. Why did Jesus come to be baptized? Not for his sake, but for yours 
and for mine, for our sake, to give us a share in eternal life. As we celebrate the feast of the baptism of our Lord, let us remember the graces we received at our own baptism. Let us thank and praise God for this gift of eternal life, first promised to us in the sacrament of baptism. Praise be Jesus Christ. <laughs>